reminds me of that game you played with the ping pong, you know. <laughs> I don't think you want to do that to this, though. Amen. Good singing tonight. Good to see Brother Cole here. We know he's, he's here, but he's not. That's weird, but anyways. As one brother said, we're not all here because not all there. <laughs> Man, if you have your Bibles tonight, <clears throat> go to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 18. I see the flies are doing their kamikaze thing. First Samuel chapter 18, glad you came out. First Samuel chapter 18, while you're going there, I've, I've often said this, and Brother Cole and I have talked before, and other men and I have talked, that uh, we're thankful for the building that the Lord's given to us. And uh, it's always interesting to learn of how to maintain it, and uh, to be as smart as you can, and I appreciate everybody's help and all you do, and I think, and I've often said, Lord, why'd you give us such a big building? You know, you just got a handful of people in it, and, but we're glad that, you know, that the handful of people there it could be nothing, right? It could be like COVID, preaching to pews. This was madder than a wet hen during COVID. I don't know, just because nobody's there, you just yell at oak pews. And, <laughs> but I was thinking the other day, which is a good thing, and it's like the Lord, uh, you know, he got me thinking, and he's like, well, you got it, don't you? I said, yeah, we got it. You got a gymnasium? Yeah, we got a gymnasium. You got 20 acres? Yeah, I got 20 acres. He said, do you know how many people are trying to get that in the city? A uh, good friend of mine, they're going to spend nearly a million bucks down in South Lyon to expand. You know what a hassle that is? You know, when, you know if I might be wrong in my figures, but like 300000 for a, what do they call it, a sprinkler system. If this place goes up, you just get out of here. You know, <laughs> worry about a sprinkler system. It's going to burn fast. <laughs> And then you collect the insurance and build it up again. <laughs> but can you imagine that? Oh, we've got to have 300000 for a sprinkler system. My goodness. He said, what are you getting at? The Lord's like, you got it. Shut up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Sure. Got loud and clear. Thank you for it. So I appreciate what the Lord has done and allowed us to do here. And it doesn't matter who comes as long as you're supposed to be here. First Samuel chapter 18 tonight. <clears throat> I'm glad you came. I'm your biggest cheerleader. Physically and mentally, amen. <laughs> first Samuel chapter 18, when you find it, would you stand? We preached uh, last week through the first five verses about one of the greatest friendships in the Bible and hope that it was a help and help you look at the friendships that you have with men and see how they compared the friendships in the Bible. Of course, we know the Bible says there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and we all know that's Jesus Christ. But I want to keep going in this chapter here tonight. We'll begin reading in verse uh, 5. Bible says, and David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. I remember as a kid, I used to mess around. I know none of y'all did, but my mom used to make me write that verse. I think it's Psalms or Proverbs. Psalms. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. <laughs> like write it a hundred times. I'd write it. Yeah, I didn't learn it. Write it again, you know. But anyways, that's what he's doing. David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played, and said, 
Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, <clears throat> and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. And the rest of the chapter is a mess. It really is a mess. It kind of reminds me, not that I would uh, know lately, but when I was a kid, I used to go to my granddad's uh, over there off of Nashville City in Sand Lake. And uh, I, don't judge me. I used to watch soap operas, but I was a kid, you know what I mean? And I know they're stupid and terrible and all that. But this is what it reminds me of. All the conniving, right? All the double-crossing and all the scheming and the plotting. I know that some of y'all have never watched soap operas, and if you did, you quickly put it under the blood. But this is what it reminds me of. It kind of reminds me of like Jacob with his two wives. These are the days of our lives and all that stuff there. But that's what the rest of the chapter reminds me of. So with that great levity of thought, let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we plead the blood of Jesus Christ tonight and need some help. Lord, you have a, put before us an important chapter in the Bible, and it's a great book. And Father, we're here, and we need something, Lord, to carry us through till Sunday. Father, I pray that you'd feed us. Father, I pray that you'd bless your word. And Father, I pray that you'd help me not to, to mess the thing up. Help me to be able to help the sheep. Father, I pray that you'd not let me to hurt the sheep. Father, I pray that you'd strengthen them and build them up as your word says that it does. Father, we love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. <clears throat> so like we said, uh, last week we preached the first five verses there about the greatest friendship in the Bible, uh, that of Jonathan and David. And then, of course, we see David. Of course, you know he's a man after God's own heart. You have to preface that with a lot because even a man after God's own heart, he's got some chinks in his armor. Now, we're not talking racially in a negative way about any group of people, but he's got some, uh, he's got some issues. Uh, batteries in the mic must be one of them. Thank you very much. <laughs> but David, he's growing. You see that? In this passage, you can see David growing. He's growing in his role as a warrior. No matter how you look at it, David was a killing machine. We just went through David and Goliath. I think probably he would rather fight a bear or fight a lion and fight a giant than he would keep sheep. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm surmising, of course, but he's growing in his role as a warrior. And the Bible says uh, in this chapter that he was accepted in the sight of all the people and in the sight of Saul's servants. And here lies a great picture not only of Jesus Christ over in the book of Luke chapter 2, but we see a great parallel uh, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. You know the verse. It says this, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sins. Now, David, of course, is the greatest type and picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, here, what we see uh, in Luke chapter 2, just like the Lord, David is increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Not only that, but we see, if you look at verse 7, you can tell he's growing, he's increasing, in wisdom and stature, when the women begin to sing about David's victories. If you can get a woman to sing about what you're doing, that's pretty good. Amen? 
I know that's Shemitic, it's Jewish, but still, I mean, the Jews, they always sing, you know, they're singing, I mean, you go to a restaurant and they're singing. I don't understand that, but anyways, uh, Americans, we go to restaurants, we complain, <laughs> right? Uh, you can tell he's growing. In verse 14, the Bible says David's behaving himself wisely in all his ways. It takes a while to learn as a Christian, doesn't it, how to behave? <laughs> how, to, how to behave wisely. Now, now, there's some Christians, they behave, it's just not very wise. And you can tell he's grown in verse 16 when all of Judah and Israel, look at it in verse 16 real quick, they're basically in love with David. You say, why do they love David? Because he's the one that's leading the troops out into battle. He's leading from the front. He's not one of these shop clowns that sits in an office all day and just barks orders. He's out there leading the troops. He's going out to battle. Listen, I know I'm called to feed sheep, but I see it this way. If I'm going to have a ministry on the street, at least right now, if we're running 5,000, maybe not, right? But right now, if I'm going to have a street ministry, if the Lord will let us, I believe that I need to lead that thing. Now, that doesn't mean I can't let anyone else lead it, but I need to lead from the front. And your greatest generals in military history were the ones that would go out and lead in the front. And, of course, they usually lived the shortest lives. But they would up there, uh, they'd be up in front, and the troops would see Alexander the Great always led from the front. Over, over 40 battles in just a handful of years. And he always led from the front, and all of his officers were always <laughs> terrorized by that thing. And when all things were falling apart, he'd charge forward, and they'd all, they'd all just figure out they got to keep up with him. You know, Erwin Rommel, the great general of the German army, he, oh, one of them, he was a great leader, and he led from the front. And he led so fast and furious, many times he'd be two to three days in front of the rest of the column. And he'd have to stop and wait because he would hit the thing so hard and he'd catch the other guys eating dinner and he'd just run right over them. But David was loved by Israel. He's loved by Judah because he's a man that leads from the front. He leads from the front line. In your Christian life, you ought to lead your Christian life from the front. Amen? Uh, going to church is a great time and place where you and I can get uh, orders from headquarters and get fired up and get what we need and then the rest of the week, we ought to be leading from the front, not expecting everyone else to fight the battle for us. But we see that, and finally in verse 30, you notice this. You can tell David's growing. That at the end of this chapter, the Bible says that David's name is much set by. Now, that's pretty interesting. David's name is much set by. He's still just a boy. But I tell you what, God's on that boy like a fan. You know what I mean? Everything he does, he's Jewish, of course. He's got the blessings of God. He's growing in his warrior, his role as a warrior and as a king without a throne. Kind of reminds me of the Lord being on this earth and having his ministry. He was a king, but yet he had no throne. And finally, the last crown that Jesus Christ wore wasn't a kingly crown. It was a crown of thorns. But we see David, he's growing, and his relationship with the Lord is really shining forth. You know, the Bible says in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 8, 3, 8, 3, that when a man loves God, the same is known of him. And when this happens, just like Enoch, the closer you get to the Lord, the less this world's going to see of that man, and the more this world should see of the Lord. And you know, over there in Genesis chapter 5, it says, and Enoch was not for God. You see that? God took him. 
And just one day, you just got to walk with the Lord, and you just got so close to the Lord, the Lord probably said, like the old preacher said, that was probably closer to my house than yours. Come on, come on home. But that's what we see. But of course, as David grows, and as the spotlight is put on David, you know what happens. The Lord can be seen shining in the spotlight. And sure enough, King Saul, I'll use the modern term, the narcissist. Uh, King Saul, the control freak. Uh, King Saul, the con artist. And of course, King Saul, the conniver, has a real problem with anybody being in the spotlight but himself. And here in verse 5, the end of the chapter, we begin to clearly see King Saul's jealousy and his envy overtake him completely. Uh, so much now that uh, King Saul never recovers from this point. By the time you get to chapter 18, it's written right on his epitaph, it's written right on his gravestone. We know one day he's going to go out at the First Baptist Church of Gilboa, amen, and he's done. And he never recovers, but I want you to see this because I want to preach today, tonight, about being all jacked up with jealousy. And this thing is a problem, it's a real problem, that as Christians you're going to face. And if you don't think you're going to face the problem about, if I could use the idiom, being jacked up with jealousy, well then maybe you're already jacked up. <laughs> but this is a real problem. Let me define it real quick. Jealousy is this. They're very synonymous in some sense. Jealousy is suspicious, apprehensive of rivalship, uneasy through the fear that another has withdrawn or may withdraw from one's affections of a person he loves or enjoys some good which he desires or deserves to obtain. Where envy is this. Envy is a feeling of uneasiness. Envy is mortification or discontent at the sight of superior excellence. Now, don't say it audibly unless you're just really good with it. But have you ever seen someone do a much better job than you at something It just makes you feel terrible? You're like, oh, I can't believe they did it, and they did it better than me. That's envy is what that is. That is uneasiness. And Christian, you're going to face it. I don't care. You are in this flesh. You are going to fight this stuff. You're going to fight jealousy, and you got to fight it. And you're going to fight envy as a Christian, and you got to fight it. And what it is, it's uh, to repine at another's prosperity. What, it, what does the Bible say? Uh, don't fret, I'm paraphrasing now, uh, don't fret when the wicked prosper. You ever see your neighbors? They don't live for God. They don't tithe. They don't give to missions. Man, they don't even go to church. And they got new vehicles, and it appears that they're living the great life, the, their best life now, and you're getting your tail kicked everywhere you go, and you're like, man, what a, what a drag. Well, the thing is, is their gods, they give to the gods that are in their driveway and the gods that they live in. You've been given your money and your time and your talent and your treasure to the one in heaven. And he's laying that all up. And that thing, I believe, if you do it with the right reason, will come back with interest. So envy is to fret or grieve oneself at the real or supposed superiority of another, and then to hate him for that. Not only be all worried about it and afraid and fretful, but then you hate that sucker for that because they did something better than you, and you think that they're getting the accolades now, and you no longer are. That's envy. But I want to show you this. I'd like to try to preach just for a little bit tonight. I don't keep you very long. About being all jacked up with jealousy, and you see it right through the chapter. 
And uh, if you're going to be jacked up with jealousy, the first things I see, like we just said when defining the word, in verse 8, you're going to get angry at the success of others. You're going to get angry at the success of others. Now, uh, verse 8, the Bible says, And Saul was very wroth. There's wrath, and then there's very wroth. Now, one thing I've had to work on individually as, uh, as a Christian is when people get new things, I immediately go, great job. Why? Because there was a time where I would go, who do you think you are? You say, what is that? I was just a pinhead. Amen? You ever been a pinhead? Yeah, I was the Lord's pinhead for a little bit. Amen? I'm still the Lord's pinhead. But uh, uh, when people get nice things or new things that I don't have, I, I really want to go, that's fantastic. Why? Because I really want the Lord to believe it, especially if I think I need one. So if you get a brand new ride, I'm going to go, praise the Lord. Right? You get a raise, praise the Lord. But uh, you're going to get angry at the success of others. Let's face it, David is successful in this chapter, isn't he? He's very successful. Look at it. Uh, He's clearly surpassed Saul in battle. We know of no battle exploits that Saul has besides this. He got ticked off one day. He got filled with the right spirit instead of the wrong spirit. He took a yoke of oxen. He chopped them into roast beef, right? Chopped beef or chopped steak. And he sent them out through all the camp. And him, he dragged the entire army of Israel, which is however many thousands at that time, over to whip the Ammonites. Remember that? That's the only battle exploit we see after that. He's sitting under a fig tree, politicking. Right? And Jonathan's like, I've had enough of this. i got to get in the fight. Uh, so David is clearly, he's successful. He surpassed Saul in all battle exploits. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7, uh, the ladies are even singing about it. Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Uh, you see, David is the one going to battle. And until now, you got to think about Saul. If you remember back from preaching earlier in the chapter, Saul has managed to let everyone else do the fighting and take the credit for it. But now, the, t- the tables are turning, right? Jonathan over there was at 1 Samuel chapter 4 or 3, or no, actually 13 it was, and he's out there and he's fought the garrison of the Philistines, right? He climbed up on the rock with his armor bearer. He got up there and slew about 20 men, as it were, a half acre, the Bible says. And the next thing you know, he's blowing a trump- someone's blowing a trumpet and it says, let the Hebrews hear, Saul hath slain the garrison. He's taking credit for what he didn't do. But guess what? The people are wise enough now to know that Saul is not a fighter. And Saul's been goofing around, and now he's upset about it. But David's the one going to battle. And uh, you, know, you know that fellow named Roy Rogers, an old American cowboy, had a TV show? He said this, everyone can't always be the hero. Some folks have to clap in the parade as the real heroes walk by. <laughs> so what are you saying? Uh, you can't always be the hero. Uh, the real heroes need people to clap for them. I know that sounds worldly and silly, but there's a, there's a lot of country truth in that statement. Uh, and uh, if you're all jacked up with jealousy, the first thing I see in verse 8 is you're going to get very angry at the success of others. Uh, you shouldn't be getting upset. You should be happy for them. Amen. Uh, you should be happy when people succeed. Amen? You should be happy when people get things and uh, people move up in uh, life. You should really be happy for them. You should rejoice with them that rejoice, right? Now, the same thing, you should weep with those who weep. Someone's having a hard time, just go cry with them. <laughs> but you should rejoice with someone who's doing well. And when you see the Lord 
uh, really laying it on to somebody, you shouldn't get, you should get jealous about that thing. You should be happy for them. They obviously need it. You say, well, they don't need it. How do you know that? Unless you're jacked up with jealousy over the thing. So you get angry at the success of others. Look at this one here in verse 8. Uh, number two, you take no pleasure in anyone talking about anyone but you. <laughs> verse 8, the Bible says, and the saying displeased him. You know why? Because David's name was mentioned in the same sentence as Saul's name, but David's name was put in a higher light than Saul's light. The name, his name was. And uh, as we said, we use the modern term here just for the, the sense of I think everyone hears this all the time. Saul's what you call a narcissist. You say, what's a narcissist? Uh, is it just a word that's difficult to spell? Well, no, but a narcissist is a self-centered personality style characterized as having an excessive preoccupation with oneself and one's own needs, often at the expense of others. Now listen, if you're not some degree of narcissist, you'll actually die. So a little bit, a sliver of narcissism is actually pretty healthy, right? And that's why the Bible says, no man yet hateth his own flesh. Because inside of every man, God's given that desire that you should actually live. That's why in Proverbs, the Bible says, all of them that hate me love death. So this worldly satanic holiday that's about to barf on your front steps is worshiping death. That's all it is. It's elevating death. And whether or not you believe everyone knows that, of course they don't, but uh, that, that is showing hatred towards the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to have nothing to do with it. And if you're a Christian, you have something to do with it, uh, you'll have to pray about that thing. But Saul's a narcissist. And uh, in the Bible, there's some narcissists. Uh, look at 3 John. Like Diotrephes. Oh, Diotrephes, he's a preacher. Say, no way, a preacher that's a narcissist? I know, hard to believe, right? <laughs> a preacher that's all about himself? Amen. Right in the Bible. It's interesting that we find this account. The Apostle John has got an issue with this feller named Diotrephes. He is a real, world-class narcissist or pinhead. And uh, 3 John, if you look at verse 9, there's only one chapter. Now, I know most of you know this, but this just is really uh, what they would call, if you're a lawyer, this is supporting evidence for what we're trying to preach here tonight, that there are narcissists in the body of Christ. And you've got to fight that thing. And you find yourself in this situation, there just might be a case that you're jacked up with jealousy. Uh, 3 John, verse 9, the Bible says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, he's the pastor, preacher, who loveth to have... The preeminence among them receiveth us not. And let me tell you what, the Apostle John, uh, in true apostolic succession, should have been able to minister to that church, and he wrote that, that preacher, and the preacher's like, you ain't coming to my church because you're one of them. You are a Bible believer, uh, probably, you know, Ruckmanite or something uh, like that. But he loved it to have the preeminence. You know what that means? He was in the spotlight. If, if there was anything to know, he was the one that would teach you. And that was Saul. Uh, there was nothing that was worth knowing unless Saul was the one telling you it. And there was nothing uh, in, about the kingdom that was grand or glorious unless he was center stage with that thing. And uh, so that's like Diotrephes. There's another fellow. Look at Judges chapter 9, verse 4. Another fellow that's a real narcissist in the Bible. His name's Abimelech. Abimelech. I'm going to show you this. And this is what Hollywood does. Hollywood's full of narcissistic pinheads. 
And what they do is uh, they think so highly of themselves, they hire a staff of pinheads that therefore go and make sure that all the press about them is positive. That seems a little bit tedious, doesn't it? How could you even worry about hiring someone to make sure they say good things about you? <laughs> uh, Judges chapter 9. Look at verse 4. Look what Abimelech does. You know how some men get people to follow them? <laughs> they find the dumbest clowns in the circus and then they pay them to follow them. You see that? Judges chapter 9, verse 4. Bible says, And they gave him three score and ten pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Bareth, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. Well, yeah, you give me silver, <laughs> I prop, right? That's the mentality of America. Their allegiance is bought with coins. And uh, you got two world-class narcissists that are just like King Saul, and they got to have vain and light people following them. But uh, you, see, that if you're jacked up with jealousy, you take no pleasure in anyone talking about anyone but you. You see, uh, Saul not only is a narcissist, but he's obsessed with hearing his name. He's obsessed with hearing his name. I've heard illustrations, and I couldn't verify whether they're true or not, of preachers that would go into a restaurant, and they'd leave to go use the restroom, and uh, they'd uh, get someone to page their name over the, the intercom. Was uh, Dr. So-and-so, well, you know, come. how stupid is that? Well, uh, but that's the last days, isn't it? In the last days, if you look at, uh, what is it, Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, you know what men are? You don't have to turn there, you know it. Men are lovers of their own selves. Uh, as uh, what this substitute teaching gig going on right now, Everyone's snapping selfies all day long. They're in love with themselves. They're doing the duck lips. They're doing the kissy lips. And they're doing all oh, this and that. And, you know, I'm like, whatever. You're still ugly. Just keep snapping away, sweetheart. But uh, in, in men in the last days, that's 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. Do you think we're in the last days? I mean, that thing's front and center. Let me tell you what, Christian, if you're not careful, you'll become a world-class narcissist just like King Saul. I call it the KSS, the King Saul Syndrome. You love yourself. Everyone's got to talk about you. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians 10, and we'll get trying to get going with the mess a little bit more. Uh, Saul is obsessed with hearing his name. And uh, here, here's a great one that shows you exactly where at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Why they like to hear their name is they're trying to compare where they're at. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 12. Bible says, for we dare not make ourselves in the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You see that? You don't need to compare yourself among other Christians. Paul says it's unwise. You don't need to measure yourselves. Well, I'm in this camp, I'm in that camp, whatever. You believe, the, are you saved? You love God? You believe the Bible? Well, Amen. Don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about everybody else's camp, <laughs> right? Uh, everyone's camp has smoke. There ain't no, no fun with smoke. Smoke burns. Smoke drives people away. That's why people leave camps. The smoke gets in their eyes, and, uh, or they get snake bit or something like that. Well, uh, and that's, that's number two. If you're jacked up with jealousy as a Christian, you might just struggle uh, with hearing someone uh, talked about in a good manner unless it's your name. Uh, look at this one, number three in verse eight. Uh, you really start to think that everyone is like you. 
You say, well, that's weird. Sure is. I'm going to tell you what, there's, what, a dozen people in here, and there's at least a dozen different personalities. <laughs> and then you get that dozen people, then it's 12 times 12, the reaction of all those different personalities. You see what I mean? Now you got 144 different reactions to personalities. That's weird. Y'all ain't the same. Uh, if you're in the same family, you might look somewhat alike, but y'all ain't the same. And if you're a narcissist, if you are like King Saul, and you're jacked up with jealousy, you actually start thinking everyone's reacting like you are. And they're not. Uh, some people who have uh, maybe come up in a bad home and maybe uh, didn't serve the Lord when they were younger, if you're not careful, uh, you'll think that every child will do what you did. They're not, they're not all going to do that. See what I mean? Now look at this thing here in verse 8. First <clears throat> uh, uh, Samuel chapter 18, verse 8. Notice what Saul says. He's all flustered. He's all jacked up with jealousy here. And it's just hit him like a two-by-four across the chin. And he says this. And Saul is very wroth and saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. Uh, and what can he have more but the kingdom? You know what he's saying? I know David's going to try to take over. That's exactly what he's saying. You know why? Because that's exactly what King Saul would have done. And he automatically thinks that David's going to be a jack leg just like him. You see that? And take over the kingdom. But that's not the truth, is it? You see, the, the difference between Saul and David is so vast. I was thinking about this uh, before I came in here tonight. Um, you know, when Saul was called to be king, you know what he was doing? He was chasing after asses, the Bible says. He was seeking the asses. That's, Dr. Ruckman said that should have been his life verse, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> and David, when they called him, right, to be anointed, you know what he's doing? He's keeping the sheep. Saul's chasing after something that was lost. See the picture? David's keeping his father's sheep. Isaiah chapter 53, in reference to Israel, all we like sheep. The Lord refers to Israel as sheep. Many times he refers to him as sheep without a shepherd when he's in his earthly ministry. But you start to think everyone's like you. And, but the difference between Saul and David is so vast. In 1 Samuel 17, 45, you see Saul, he seeks to exalt himself. David seeks to exalt the Lord. When he meets Goliath in the battlefield, he didn't say, I come to you in the name of David of Jesse. And so my lineage is so perfect and pure, I tell you. He says, I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. Everywhere David goes, he's lifting up the Lord. Everywhere Saul goes, he's lifting up himself. Man, ain't that something? The more I study King Saul, he is a very odious figure. He's a very ugly figure. Now, there's a couple of messages. We actually preach some decent character traits about him from the beginning. But, man, this thing is ugly. You say, why? Because I often see him in my own life. And if you're not careful, you'll be the same way. You'll be just like King Saul. No one can have a conversation unless you're in the, you're in the, you're in the middle of it. Talk about me, please. Put my name in the bulletin, please. Saul seeks to exalt himself. David seeks to exalt the Lord. How about this? In 1 Samuel 14, verse 52, there's an interesting phrase, an interesting verse we covered. Saul takes, when he becomes king, he takes whatever he wants. And that Bible says over there in 1 Samuel 14, 52, that whenever he saw a strong man or something like that, he took him. Took him. Just come here, you know, make myself strong and Big and all that, and you know, I'm all this and all that and the other. But if you get over to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 19, when David is 
crowned king and things are going well, you know what he does? He gives what he has to all the people. That's the difference between Saul and David. Saul was a taker. David was a giver. Why? Because he's like Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave. And you know what you find David doing? Giving. The only time you find David in trouble is when he starts taking. And he takes that which doesn't belong to him. And that's the difference between Saul and David. And not only that, in 1 Samuel 15, 15, with the whole thing with Amalek, you know what Saul does? He blames others for his own sins. He blames the people, doesn't he? But when Nathan confronts David about the issue of Bathsheba there, you know what David does? He blames himself. I'm telling you, these two are worlds apart. They're not even close. The only thing they got going on is they're both men. But they're completely different. Why in the world then would Saul think that David would act like him? They're not even close. Well, you start to think everyone is like you, and Saul was thinking that because he would take over the kingdom, that David wouldn't want to do the, th the same thing. I'll give you number four here in verse 9. When you get all jacked up with jealousy, uh, you start having an even evil eye towards people. You start having an evil eye towards the brethren. Verse 9, the Bible says, And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. You see in verse 11, he tries to kill him twice with a javelin. It says he casts a javelin on him, and David avoids out of his presence twice. You see that? An evil eye. He won't kill him. In verse 17, he uh, tries to mastermind a plot to kill David through the hands of the Philistines. And in verse 21, he's masterminding another plot to kill David by the hands of the Philistines. And then in verse 25, it gets really weird, friends. It gets really weird. I mean, I know Indians, they, they took scalps. And some uh, military people, they took arms. But the dowry that King Saul set for David is just weird. And he tries to kill David by giving him a weird dowry. But you know what? David's a fighter. He's like... Basically, when I read the passage, I read it two or three times, I'm like, why is David like I... Basically, what David is saying is like, look, I can't afford her, <laughs> is what he's saying. He's royalty, and I'm just a peasant. I cannot afford the dowry. And then when David finds out that the dowry is just whooping up on a bunch of fills, he's like, yes! <laughs> and he's like, and you know what he does? The tail was 100. He goes out and doubles it. Then that just like a man. I mean, like a man's man. If it's, uh, you know, if you're supposed to do this much, if you're supposed to do 25 push-ups, a man that's got some, uh, you know, kind of rooster about him, he'll do 50. You know what I mean? Uh, if, uh, if you say, well, the last guy on the shift, uh, they, only, uh, they only cut down 15 trees. You know what a real man will do? He'll try to double it. He'll go 30. <laughs> uh, today's generation will be like, oh, 14, you know. But anyways, they're not real men. Harold Leake wrote that song, Where Have All the Real Men Gone? But David, he uh, finds out that that dowry, even though it's weird, it is weird, and we're not even going to talk about it. He's like, no problem. I've been waiting to whoop up on some Philistines ever since I took out that, that big fella. <laughs> so he goes out and he kills 200 Philistines, and uh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure he just like, uh, you guys go take care of the dowry part there. You know, he just did the killing. But anyways, uh, but uh, they're so different, aren't they? And uh, they start, and uh, Saul starts having an evil eye. And five attempts on David's life between verses 11 to 25, either physically 
or mentally. And uh, he's slipping. He's slipping. You say, why? Jacked up with jealousy. He's got an evil eye. You ever catch yourself in that? You ever catch yourself just, uh, you know? Now, listen, I'm not talking about throwing caution to the wind. You need to be cautious. Bible says you need to be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil walketh about his roaring, roaring lion. But not everyone's an axe murderer, friends. You see what I mean? Not every brother in the body of Christ, you know, is looking to take your, you know, spiritual stripes from you. But if you're not careful, what happens is you'll get hurt. And then you'll be like, I dog, and everybody with a karate chop instead of a handshake. You ever get that way? You ever get just like hurt really bad? And someone wants to shake your hand, like, I wonder why he wants to shake my hand. Because he wants to shake your hand. You got such an evil eye. Right? And you're looking at everybody like they all want to shoot you down. What is that? Maybe you're jacked up with jealousy. Got an evil eye. Well, there's another thing I see in the passage here. When you get all jacked up with jealousy, one of the things that uh, it emerges in verse 10, you start getting a bad spirit about you. You see that? Bible says in verse 10, the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. Man, what an opportune time. You're all jacked up with jealousy. You're a narcissist. You've got an evil eye. And here comes the bad spirit, just like that. You see it? And this evil spirit, the interesting part in verse 10, notice the first thing about this evil spirit, it's religious in nature. You see it? Right after you see an evil spirit, you know what Saul's doing? He's got the evil spirit from the Lord, your King James Bible says, and that sucker's preaching. Don't you find that interesting? Don't you find that just a wee bit weird that he now has an evil spirit from God and all of a sudden he's prophesying, he's preaching, he's religious now and he's got an evil spirit. I wonder how many preachers today got a bad spirit about him. <laughs> Check your own preacher, amen. <laughs> but the first thing he does is he's preaching in the midst of, he's prophesying. But you know what, I was looking, thinking about that thing and that's just like them false prophets of Ahab, you remember that? Look at 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. You've got to remember that just because a man uh, has an evil spirit doesn't mean he can't preach. You know, some of the most wickedest preachers out there preach some of the most smooth messages you'll ever hear. I mean, they're good. Now, I know we talk about Joel Osteen and all those guys, but that guy is smoother than butter. I mean, he never, he never, he never uncracks that smile he's got. It's just like, what is that, like paper mache on your lips or something? It just never ends. And after a while, you look at the guy, you're like, he's really good at what he does. But he is sending people to hell on a rocket. And I guarantee you there's an evil spirit all over that sucker. Uh, 1 Kings uh, 22, I think I said. 1 Kings 22, look at verse 20. Now, I know many of you know this. But never forget that an evil spirit is very religious in nature. That's why you got to check yourself. The more you do does not always mean you're more spiritual. Maybe you just got an evil spirit about you. Maybe you got a bad spirit about yourself and you're trying to compensate for what you don't have. 1 Kings chapter 20, 22, uh, pick it up in verse 20. Bible says here, And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said on this matter, By the way, the setting is in heaven. 
in front of the Lord with a bunch of evil spirits. He's not asking man. He's asking all them, them devils and demons, however you want to say the thing up there in the third heaven. And one said on this manner, another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. Verse 22, and the Lord said unto him, wherewith? He said, I will go forth and I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Ain't that something? So you got the 450 prophets there, and you know what they're doing? They're all preaching the same gospel. They're all saying, go up and prosper, and they're all lying right through their teeth. And the Lord said, go do it. Ain't that crazy? I'm just showing you that this evil spirit, the first thing that you see about that thing, it's religious in nature. Never be hoodwinked by people who appear to be spiritual. All right? Not only that... But how about like the Antichrist? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll hit this one and move on. But when you get jacked up with jealousy, uh, one of the things that happens is you get a real bad spirit about yourself. Real bad spirit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now this thing is a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and we want, there we go, 9. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. There's, the, uh, there's your charismaniacs there. And with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a what? There's a lie. And you know who's orchestrating that thing? The Lord is. And now look at verse 12. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And you can follow that thing all the way through the Bible. You say what? If you don't want to believe the truth, you know what the Lord will let you do? He'll let you believe a lie. You don't want to believe the truth about the King James Bible? The Lord will let you believe a lie about it. And you know what the Lord will let you do? The Lord will let you get together with a bunch of people who hate the King James Bible and let you become successful and let you hold conferences and let you be this great, uh, this great speaker and this great corrector of the Bible and the, the devil give you a crown down here. You know why? Because you didn't want the truth. So he lets you believe the lie. It's just like you see everywhere you go today. This world, you know what they do? They don't believe the Bible and they believe a lie. And the Lord says, okay, you want to believe a lie? Go ahead. You know what one of the lies is? Uh, that, you know, you can have more than two genders. There's one of the lies. And so the Bible says in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and in the image of God created him, so for male and female, right? And so the world says, no, there's more than uh, two genders. And uh, the Lord says, no, there's not. You need to read it again. Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, Romans chapter 1, uh, 2, 3, so forth and so on. And they're like, oh, no, that's just old fable stuff. And the Lord says, okay, believe a lie, help yourself. And so what does your country do? Your country produces legislation to make it legal to be a whatever. <laughs> you know, is it a he or is it a she? Or, you know, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are you don't matter. <laughs> That's your pronouns. And they believe a lie, and so they legislate wickedness. And God's up there going, oh, just let them believe it. 
And now you got this whole body of legislative truth, they say, coming out about all these genders. Why? Believe a lie. Ain't that something? But that comes from having a bad spirit. It's religious in nature. Notice what this uh, evil spirit does. Back, we'll get back on our message here. When you're all jacked up with jealousy, you say, well, an evil spirit should produce, uh, should produce real boldness. Yeah, it does for sin, but notice what it produces in Saul. It produces fear in verse 12. This evil spirit produces fear. The Bible says in verse 12, and Saul was afraid of David. Isn't that wild? Big King Saul, head and shoulders above everybody else, right? And uh, he's got all the king's horses and all the king's men, right? And he, can, he thinks he can take his life, but he can't. And here now, because Saul's beginning to see that he has no control over anything, he's afraid of David. He's afraid of a boy. That's what an evil spirit does. It makes you afraid. Uh, not only that, but look at, uh, that's in verse 12. Uh, look at verse 15. It says this three times throughout the chapter. This guy is scared to death, and he's a big old king. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. Second time in three verses. One more time, look at verse 29. 29. Bible says, And Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. Three times in one chapter. That evil spirit is producing so much fear in life. Doesn't the Bible say in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man bringeth a what? Isn't there, don't you see a snare in this passage somewhere when he talks about his daughter Michael? For she shall be a what? Boy, the King James Bible write every single stinking time. Fear of man, three times in that passage. And there's a snare, and he's like, there it is, there's a snare. Well, you get a bad spirit about it. Well, let me give you this one. Not only a bad spirit, <clears throat> but here's one that maybe you can relate to. Uh, not the bad spirit, right? Nobody here's ever had a bad spirit. Amen. <laughs> you know not what spirit you're of. <laughs> uh, but you become hyper and unbiblical in your separation. When you're all jacked up with jealousy, you start to separate unnecessarily. You, need, you become hyper in your separation, and you become unbiblical. Look at verse 13. When Saul saw how David was being treated and adored. You know what he did? He separated fellowship with him. You see it? Verse 13, Saul removed him from him. Isn't that what you do to Christians you don't like? Don't you stop fellowshipping with them? Unfriend them on Facebook? <laughs> I just had to say that. Sorry. <laughs> you know what that is? You become hyper and you're separate. You've got to be careful of that stuff. Is it really, was it really necessary to separate from David? You know why Saul separated from David? Because of how he felt. I don't like him. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> he, he separated from David because of his feeling. He did not separate from David because of fact. Actually, if you look at the facts, facts would encourage full fellowship with David. Listen, if God is on a man, I want to be his friend. I really do. And I'd like to maybe, maybe he would spend a little bit of time talking to me. But not Saul. He's too stupid. So he has to separate. He has to be hyper in a separation. He has to be unbiblical in that thing 
But the facts around everything encourage full fellowship. Look through, real quick, just about two or three things here. The facts are David was loyal to Saul and did whatever Saul asked him to do. That's in verse 5. Whatever Saul sent him to do, he went and did it. That's a pretty good boy. Loyal. Would you like a couple workers like that? There's a did what you told that actually showed up? Not only, here's the facts. The facts are this. David behaved himself wisely inside and outside the kingdom. Maybe now we're getting to why he wanted to separate from him. Maybe he had such a terrible, guilty conscience. Doesn't it bother you when someone does right and you're like, <laughs> oh, you goody two-shoe or something? Well, way to go, Sunday school boy. <laughs> right? Maybe you should be doing that and someone shows you up. The facts are this. David was a mighty warrior. That's 1 Samuel 17.50 and 1 Samuel 18.7. Those are the facts. You show me a, someone who's a fighter for the good fight, and someone who has got the Lord on him, man, I want to get to know him. I want to get to know him. Well, he's not your stripe. I don't care, man. I don't care about the striping business. I want to get to know someone who's got the power of God on him. I do. I want to talk to him. You know what? I want him to know my name. You say, why? So you can be important dude. No, so he can pray for me. Why? Because I think the facts encourage full fellowship. But if you're all jacked up with jealousy because you're worried about someone else getting attention or the Lord benefiting somebody else instead of you at the moment, you get hyper in your separation. I've had to deal with that in my own life. And if you're honest, you've done it too. You separated from people not because of a factual thing, but because of how you felt. And if you don't, you're not careful, you'll let that feeling thing get in the way and you'll stop looking at the facts. Well, I'll give you one more and we'll be done. When you're all jacked up with jealousy, you end up getting others involved in your devilment. <laughs> you end up getting others involved in your devilment. Look at verse 22, 1 Samuel 18, 22. Bible says, And Saul commanded his servants, saying, so forth and so on. You see that? He's getting, he's getting his servants in with the devilment. He's a conniver. You see that? He's a con man. He's a con artist. And he's getting other people in on his conning. You get others involved in your lies in verse 2 or verse 22. He says, uh, he says, commune with David secretly. Why we got to do things in secret? Someone want to meet with you in secret? You better question that thing. Why can't things be done open, right? Doesn't the Bible say the Lord told Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, provide for things honest in the sight? In the sight of all men. Now, I'm not talking about when you have to get counsel for something uh, that might be of a private nature and it's with someone that's trusted and able to help you. I'm not talking about that. But all this, you know, you know, this texting back and forth business and, oh, what do you think about what they said? And Oh, who cares, man? Shut up. See what I mean? You get others involved in your dump. You get others involved in your lies. You get others involved in your attempt to control others. I want you to see this because the Holy Spirit's like really ringing my bell through this chapter. He said, aren't you afraid to say that? Not a bit. Look at verse 22. He says there in verse 22, uh, he, said, uh, he says, Commune with David secretly and say, Behold, the king hath delight in thee, and all his servants love thee. <laughs> like, love, share, and subscribe. <laughs> now therefore be the king's son-in-law. You see what Saul's wanting them to do? 
Saul's wanting control all, all the pieces of the chessboard. And he's like, oh, you guys got to go do this. So he becomes my son-in-law because really I want to kill him. He wants to control what David does. And he figures if he can order his little stooges around, that they'll go and they'll spread his lies too. But it just tells you how stupid Saul thought David was. But you get others involved in your attempt to control. You've never done that, have you, Christian? Attempted to control other Christians by saying something to somebody else because you were jealous of what was going on or what somebody was getting or the attention someone had or what ministry someone was doing. And finally here, you get others involved in your murderous plots. Look at verse 25. And Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desireth not any dowry, liar, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines, to be avenged of the king's enemies. Enemies, my foot. He might have been the Lord's enemies, but Saul had no enemies. He was just, he wanted to keep Amalek alive. Or Agag, I'm sorry. He's like, oh, I can't kill the king, man. He's a pretty important dude. Keep him alive. Samuel had to come do the job that he was supposed to do and hack him in pieces. And verse 25, it says, uh, but Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. He didn't want David for a son-in-law no more than he wanted to play the tuba. He wanted that sucker dead. Why? Jealous, envious of what David could do. It made him feel uneasy when David was around. He was jealous and, uh, of the attention that David got that he was now not getting. There's a tale of two eagles. It's a, there's a fable of an eagle that could outfly another eagle. And the other eagle didn't like it too much. He was pretty upset about it. So the latter eagle saw a sportsman one day and said to him, must have been Disney that they're talking eagle, you know. I wish you would bring down that eagle. The sportsman replied, I might be able to do that if only I had some feathers to put into this arrow of mine. So the eagle pulled out one of his uh, feathers out of one of his wings. The arrow was shot, but didn't quite reach the rival eagle. It was flying too high. The envious eagle pulled out more feathers. He kept pulling them out until he lost so many that he couldn't fly. Therefore, the sportsman turned around and shot him. <laughs> D.L. Moody gave this illustration back in the early 1900s. He says, my friend, if you're jealous, the only bird you can hurt is yourself. You see that? So as we bring this thing uh, to a close... Saul emerges from chapter 18 all jacked up with jealousy. And uh, he goes from head and shoulders, the beautiful, the powerful Hebrew king from the tribe of Benjamin to a jealous, envious, murderous, conniving fellow with an evil spirit and desire to kill his God-man that would eventually sit on God's throne. So as we close tonight, I wouldn't be a good preacher unless I just put it right on you. Let me ask you this. Are you jealous of someone else's success tonight? Are you envious of the good that God has done for others but yet may not have done it to you yet? Well, if you are, may the Lord change you and give you grace for everyone to prosper. You ought to desire that your brothers and sisters do better than you. Paul said in honor, preferring one another. It's a hard thing to do. Why? Because there's a little, a lot of narcissism in every one of us. So that's a charge of you from here to we meet again. Don't get all jacked up with jealousy because you know how Saul goes out.
he goes out, his whole line goes out. And the only thing that saves that entire line from being wiped out is old Mephibosheth. And that's another message for another day. All right, watch your stand. Jacked up with jealousy.